You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We are the Fancy Joes. I'm at Roto Librarian, Ryan Livergood. Joining me this evening, as always, from the home office in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's Will Greenwood. Will, what's going on? Howdy. Uh, you guys can't tell because it's not visual, but it was a beautiful day here in Minnesota. And the wife and I went for a quick little happy hour after work. And then, uh, which two beers in the sun means the people that can see me on the video, uh, I am super red today. I think I got sunburned. Yeah, you got sunburned, my friend. <laughs> Very oh, right. Such a good mood for tonight's podcast. <laughs> and from North Carolina, it's Trey Barrett. Trey, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm really excited. I've been I've been buried at work, man, and I just had I've had so much going on the holiday weekend, and I was on call and just been been waist deep in work stuff, man. So I'm excited to unplug a little from the real world and talk a little fantasy football talk a little strategy and so excited to excited to be on tonight and we've got a great guest to talk strategy to talk dynasty football it's a man that really needs no introduction author of analytics of dynasty you can find him on the uth premium side it's jordan mcnamara jordan what's going on not much man thanks for having me back i appreciate it I, this is always a safe space for me so i i <laughs> Your places like, aren't so safe. This is a safe place for well, me. Absolutely, it's a safe place. <laughs> absolutely, it's a safe place. Yeah, you're kind of like our, um, you know, like if, if we were SNL, like our Steve Martin or Alec Baldwin recently. You know, you, you are oh, a, you're a regular. You can sing and you're funny. There you go. That's better. Justin Timberlake. I, I like it. I like it. You don't want to hear me sing. So. <laughs> but we do want to hear you talk about Dynasty and your insights and um, first of all, before we get into talking about what's going on, we're, we're really, tonight we're going to talk about narratives, these narratives you hear, what narratives can we buy into, what narratives do we want to reject, but Jordan, what's going on right now? What, what are, you know, any, any thoughts you want to start us off with? No, I mean, this is an interesting, I, I love this time of year and I, I, so Dynasty, it gets super busy in season, it gets super busy around rookie drafts and I really enjoy the times where it's downtime because I get to think more strategically and like one of the best one of the best things I think you can do at, at this time is think big picture and think long term and think about your process and and look at different things you know look at your prior trades think about what you missed and what you didn't and how you missed or how you succeeded and what you're good at identify those types of things this is a great time of year for that type of process and so I'm really looking at those sorts of things because rookie drafts are dying down if not pretty much dead at this point and you know just think long term like i'm reading the book astro ball for example and thinking about how i can apply that to some of uh some of this just thinking big picture i think is is really valuable at this time of year so that's really what i'm i'm into right now i love it and for those listeners those few listeners that we have out there that haven't purchased analytics of dynasty it is a great resource to think big picture to think strategically um i'll also plug UTH because after the show last time, you know, I, I listened to the free UTH show and, and I, I was thinking about, um, you know, like resources to invest into. And I, I said, Jordan, what, you know, like, what, what do you get when you're a, a you know, a, a subscriber on the premium side? And you told me about the podcast and the content and I've been blown away by it. It is well worth the money. This is my favorite podcast to listen to every week or on the premium side, but I won't go on and on about it. Check it out for yourself. 
Wait till um, you get in season and we do in Chad and I, Oh, have, have you, I don't know if you've gone back and listened to any of the running back roundup shows from last year, but we do a show every week called running back roundup. And it's like, it ends up like a two and a half hour show at times, but we talk about th- all 32, uh, all 32 backfields every week and constantly updating every week about each, about each backfield. So we were thinking about guys like Damian Williams, you know, a week or two ahead of when it happened. And uh, that's like my favorite. It's like my favorite two hours of every week in season is, is that when we record that. And so um, if you're new to it, like you'll, that's, that's my favorite recording uh, that, that we do. And uh, so, yeah, it's in season. It's a lot of fun. And it's great now too. Like we just recorded last night and I don't even think we talked about players really. We just talked about strategy and sort of long-term and, you know, strategic stuff. And, yeah, it's we're constantly trying to do different things, so it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, and I, you know I'm obviously biased, but I think it's well worth the investment over there. Yeah, for sure, and, and you're all such great thinkers when it comes to dynasty. Um, you, Chad, Katie, and Tim. You know, we've had Tim on the show. Like Katie, I love her, hearing her talk about Debbie. Like her Debbie insights on the premium side, it's awesome. But we won't go on and on about it. Check it out for yourself. Get a subscription. Heaven's sakes, pause this podcast and get a subscription to UTH. Anyway, let's talk about what's going on. You know, obviously we can talk about rookies that, that have entered the NFL, like McCole Hardman, right? He's going to blow up in 2019, right, Jordan? Because the situation is so great for McCole Hardman, right? So that's what, that's happening this year. Is, is that your flag plant guy? He's not my flag plant guy. <laughs> I've got a flag plant guy, and it's, it's not, I'll give you a hint. It's not McCole Hardman. Um, no, I, I yeah, I, I think uh, this – people get out of control with rookie drafts and they, they don't. And this is probably a, uh, this is probably a flaw in, in all of us, but I don't think we think probabilistically all that well. And so people will take players to think, Oh, he's got a great shot to hit. Well, what's that really mean? And what do players like him do? And so I, I look a lot at like the base rates of players and, you know, let's look at the round. Like let's, let's look, identify some players that the, that the NFL has said is are comparable type players and think about sort of what they've done in, in the past and sort of use that as guidance. So that's definitely something I've done this year, probably more so than any year. And I think it's really helped me identify target players and avoid sort of a lot of the potential misses. Is Darrell Henderson one of those Mrs. Jordan? I mean, he's a guy that's rising in rookie drafts. I'm seeing it. He's climbing up and up. He's getting into the first round now because we hear all this talk about Todd Gurley. It's funny because, um, you know, another blurb came out this week, something we already knew, right? That there's something going on with Todd Gurley, but we really just don't know how he's going to, you know, manage himself. There are a lot of running backs, a lot of NFL players that manage pain during the season. So is he one of those guys? What do you think of Darrell Henderson? Cause he's kind of an intriguing guy to me, like to talk about because, you know, the opportunity could be there in a great offense with the Los Angeles Rams, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, the, his cost is, is just continues to go up and it just keeps going up and up and up. And I saw him, uh, you know, I was on dynasty game night earlier this week and, or sorry, it was late last week. And one of the questions was about ADP and, uh, so John Bosch sent out a picture of the ADP from the FFPC this week. And I was blown away that Daryl Henderson was like the, the eighth overall rookie pick. I mean, that's just, I mean, I, I like, I like day two running backs. So that's a, that's a good thing, but he's probably not going to be the starter. And I have a hard time seeing Gurley just 
people are acting like Gurley's dead. And you, know, you talk about narratives. People are just uh, every. It's funny because every people these reports come out, and we knew something was up with Gurley. Like it wasn't. We saw him sitting on the sideline during the Super Bowl, right? Something was wrong with him. And to to some level, we don't know exactly what it was. They bring back Brown. They bring in Henderson. And so now people, now there's a new report. Oh, he's, he's got knee problems. Like we already knew that. Like that should have already been baked into our cost. And people are now it's become just an avalanche of, of, of stories about the same thing that it's just becoming, you know, uh, when are we putting, when are we burying him in the ground is, is it seems like it's going to be like next week at the pace we're going with these stories. So I don't know. I, I, I like Henderson in terms of a profile, but the, the cost in the mid first seems excessive to me. One of the things that's really interesting to me, and <clears throat> I kind of said, I did, I did it really well last year. And I, I, I allowed myself this year to, to get sucked into kind of doing some quote unquote rankings. I never actually listed ranking, you know, rookies top to bottom, but last year, I did not even start thinking about where I ranked rookies. I read some publications, but it wasn't until the actual NFL draft happened that I, you know, kind of started putting, putting that list together. And I think that it helped me last year be, be, for the most part, pretty successful in my rookie drafts. This year, I feel like that I went into the actual NFL draft kind of already having an idea of a, of a list, but knowing that I wanted to stay flexible. Um, and, and now as I look back on having completed some rookie drafts and a few still upcoming, I'm beginning to realize that it's probably, there's guys that should shoot up your board a little bit on uh, draft day or after the draft weekend. And then there's some guys that should fall down. So I, I think it's wise. A guy like Nico Hardman is a great example, right? Like, if all you were taking into consideration was draft capital and draft position, I think you, you may, you know, even uh, for people that prefer to take wide receivers, if you're going to take a shot on a, on a day two wide receiver, you, you may, you know, take a shot on Nicole Hardman, but, but he's a guy I know I've heard a couple people talk about that they had him in their top 10 wide receivers going into the NFL draft, which is kind of crazy sounding to me because um, even though Georgia is pretty, run happy you know he, he just hardly did anything there um, but I, but I'm beginning to realize that I think obviously draft capital we're, we're a big draft capital matters group I mean we I, I completely buy into that um, but I, I do think that it's important to you know take the whole picture into consideration and and not just you know not not just be completely married to draft capital um, but also to to you know what where you thought of these guys going in and, and kind of you know, find the sweet spot in the whole, the whole picture. I'm sort of with you on that. Like I, I have, I find that when I write my rankings down or I don't really do rankings, I do a draft board, but when I write it down before the NFL draft, I have a hard time moving it afterwards. And that might be good. I think that it's bad in some ways. So I, I don't usually do it until after the NFL draft. I, this year I said, I'm not doing it until after the NFL draft. I wrote down all my notes. I had all my notes and everything and sort of some general thoughts, but I wanted to see where they went in the draft to, to confirm that that way I could be flexible with, with my rankings. Cause once you write it down, it's there and it's tough to, to change it. And so 
I totally agree with that process. And one of the things like you look at, just look at the, the historical draft range of players. And I, I have this in the book uh, of where players go and I updated it for this year. So the book might be a little bit, the numbers might be a little bit different, but the average, basically the first time that McCole Hardman would be an above average pedigree pick in rookie drafts would be in the back half of the second round, right? The average, so the average first round rookie pick for wide receivers is a, um, is a first round wide receiver, right? The, the back half of the round is basically 28.8, right? So even actually Nikhil Harry actually grades out as a below average round one receiver uh, in terms of the back half of the round. So that's a, that's sort of an interesting thing that I don't think people are talking about very much. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hart, so Hardman historically is going in a range where he should go basically somewhere in the, the mid to late second round. And he's going around before that. And, you know, we know the hit rates on day two receivers are low and I get it. Like I get the Mahomes thing, but I'm, I'm skeptical of, of paying that cost for that profile the 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 hardman uh what do you the, the the hardman the hardman conundrum i don't know how, how you know however you want to phrase it but it's just that it's you're you're shooting for the stars with them so when you, you when you finally you know, finally finish what you want to do in your rookie drafts and you decide uh this is the year that i'm going to just try to plant a few, a few flags in a few places I, I like the pick where you can get them uh, as long as it's not the top, like, you know, five or six, and then super flex, maybe seven or eight. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it at all. I, I, I don't, I'm not overly opinionated about him. I feel like the Chiefs, though, it's a very weird move to the, by them for, for me because they're usually really good and savvy drafters overall, at least for fantasy purposes. So uh, a savvy drafting fantasy football franchise <laughs> takes them in the second round, does perk up the ears, but – it's not like you're alone in that thought. So you'll see Hardman go pretty high in your drafts. And I wouldn't, the only thing I wouldn't do is trade up for him. If I had to, you know, if I had a pick and I couldn't move down for any sort of value, that's in a, he was the guy that I wanted to take. You know, if you took him over uh, DK Metcalf, you took him, you know, I, I don't want to, AJ Brown's in there, those kind of things. I, I don't hate that decision at all. So switching gears from Mecole Hardman. I know we could, we could definitely have a Mecole Hardman episode tonight, but um, I wanted to jump into one of the narratives that I um, <clears throat> feel like is, is worth discussing. And I did a deep dive. I've been doing some looking at the last, I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, essentially the last four years of ADP. I took the month of May. I looked at 2016, 17, 18, and 19 ADP. I, I just did standard, not super flex. And I basically just want to go across and look at trends, look at some things that I, we can learn, you know, and, and potentially apply to the future. And there's been quite a few things that I've noticed. One of them, and I think these are just a couple examples, but one of the narratives I think that I'm seeing in Dynasty is that people are becoming increasingly short-sighted. And, and I think part of that, there's this recency bias. And it's so evident to me in two quarterbacks over the last few years and it's a, there's a third quarterback I think we can potentially apply it to and, and, and really mine some value. So Carson Wentz in 2017, May 2017, his ADP 
and single quarterback um, ADP was 142nd overall. Okay. So fast forward to May of 2018 after he had his incredible season, uh, put it up incredible numbers, which everyone kind of knew was not sustainable, but his ADP skyrocketed to 47th overall. He moved up, up almost a hundred spots in single quarterback ADP. Currently, Carson Wentz is going as uh, 91st overall, okay? So he skyrocketed up last year, struggled with injuries. Now he's going 91, right? <clears throat> Andrew Luck, case two. Andrew Luck, if you go back to 2016, was 33rd in ADP. Um, 2017, he was 38th in ADP. Last year, he was 80th in ADP, right? Almost a, a, over a 40-player uh, drop, you know, three-and-a-half round drop. And now he's back up now that he's actually playing football again and, and looks like he has two good shoulders. He's back to 54, right? It, even despite the fact that quarterbacks, I think, are going a little bit later in single, single quarterback ADP, um, he's still up there. You know, he, he jumped about three rounds. So the player that I think that I want to highlight is Cam Newton, okay? And, you know, I think that this is a classic case of recency bias. We're hearing these reports. Like, I understand the, you know, concern over Andrew Luck's shoulder last offseason, and, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, but, you know, Carson Wentz with an, with an injury that he had the year before, you know, dropping from 47 to 91. You've got Cam Newton now, right? 2016, he was 34th in ADP. 2017, he was 69th. 2018, he was 75th. Just this general downtrend. But now he's dropped all the way to 112th. So he's out of the top 100. Cam Newton, who's finished multiple seasons in the top six quarterbacks, you know, weak winning upside with his legs. And I know that as quarterbacks get older, they run less. You know, that's the, you know, narrative on running quarterbacks. But I just think that, you know, first of all, I think Cam could be an, a buy this offseason. I think he continues to be a guy that I expect to play next season and, and put up really solid numbers. Um, but I, I just found it very interesting looking at these guys, the recency bias that, you know, is it tends to be reflected in the way that we react to some of these players. So what do you guys – I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And, and any – any thoughts you have related to, to dynasty owners being being short-sighted in general? But the Panthers drafted Will Greer. Trey's going to take over like week one for sure, no matter what is going on with Cam Shoulder. Strong first name. <laughs> what, what do you think, Jordan? I, that interesting observation by Trey. I think recency bias is, is, you know, is probably the most common, you know, it's the most, I think the most exploitable thing. And we see it all, we, not just in players, but you see it in positions, right? Look how you see it in ADP, right? A lot of ADP, like a majority of a, the variance in ADP can be explained by just solely looking at last year's standings, last year's scoring. And there's so much that changes, right? There's so much, I think, more to dynasty than just looking at last year's scoring. But a, a majority of the variance can be explained by just that. And, you know, when you, when you think about how much people are just putting into what happened last year, it, it's a, it's a huge, it's a, it's a huge factor. And so, yeah, I think there is a ton of recency bias. And I think, you know, with the, with the 
the cam, I think the injuries, I, I think that's, that has shown, you know, I don't have specific data on this and I, I guess, I mean, you cited some about what the injuries have done to quarterback stock. And, but if you're in start one, you should embrace, you should embrace upside, right? You should embrace risk at quarterback. And, you know, it, it, Kyler Murray's going in a similar, a similar sort of range as you identified as Newton is. And those are players that, that I think we could identify as having big time upside and luck the same way last year. I mean, luck was going off outside the top 10 and, and spots at, at quarterback because people were worried about the injuries. And I, for one said, I don't think, you know, I think there's a, a very realistic chance that he never plays again. And, you know, fortunately we got him back and the taking the bet on that was a massive payoff. And, you know, I, I think any time a player drops significantly because of injury, I think you really have to think about it and look at what the team does in reaction to it. You know, the, their owner came out and said he might miss this year. And what do they, you know, what's the next piece of information that we get that they take Will Greer outside the top, 90 of the draft right I mean that's that's basically the next information that we get I forget his specific draft capital but I think he slid was it late on day two was it where he went or early day three um you know that's that doesn't speak to me as being that they're really all that concerned about him so I I that all being said I mean is his short is his shelf life shorter than some of the other guys probably right does he play as long as Aaron Rodgers capable of playing probably not because he's a different type of quarterback, but uh, you know, I, I, especially a quarterback, I'm willing to embrace risk if it gives me a lot of upside in a one quarterback league. Yeah, so, Will Gr- we, Will Gr- I'm just gonna say Will Greer in the uh, third round, 101 overall. Okay, 101, right at the end of yeah. so yeah. Was that a compens? It's probably right around the compensatory pick range. So from Will Greer to Will Greenwood, where you where were you gonna chime in uh, with Will? I was, I was just thinking about uh, the, quickly the Aaron Rodgers comparison is that maybe we should be more worried about his racking up injuries overall and, and how much time he's missed compared to Cam Newton. Uh, and I know they're different ages and different styles, but, and I, I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers owner and really like having him, but there is a, a lot of risk that comes along with that because he is kind of a little bit more of a running quarterback. Uh, I would also be very curious of a guy like, uh, like Jared Goff and he's kind of, ADP rankings from his, you know, rookie or the next one, things like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a great place at dynasty value with Andrew Luck. And that was one of the weirdest situations I've experienced in my dynasty career is just, what do you do with a guy that you get such mixed information about? And then it's throwing like a Nerf ball around, you know, and people, then people make jokes about it. And you're like, well, actually that might actually matter. And then it doesn't. And he looks good. Not, not quite great, but he'll probably, I feel like he's going to return to greatness again. I see a lot of upside in Newton and I think in embracing that risk is, you know, in the book I talked about, you know, the type of decisions that you have to make to win championships. And one of the things you, you have to think in a, to win a championship, you're, you're coming in a normal league, one out of 12. So that's a top 8% outcome. You have to make top 8% type decisions and think about that type of, that type of decision-making and, to consistently win, you have to embrace some risk and you have to embrace the upside of it. And, you know, guys like Gurley, Gurley's a classic case of that right now. It's how much risk can you tolerate because the payoff's really big. And the same thing with Tyree Kill, although I'm much more skeptical of, of him uh, 
of him now because I think it's he's virtually certain to get suspended. But uh, I mean, embracing that the the upside of of players like that that can change your that can change your league. It's it's it is a it's a place I think people don't spend enough attention thinking about those type of risk decisions and embracing the upside. Hey Jordan, I've got a question for you. Tying into narratives. Um, you know, one of the narratives, for example, you, looking at teams that pick really well, we, we kind of touched on it with Nicole Hardman, but uh, the Steelers and Deontay Johnson, mm. um, early third round, it's like, well, the Steelers know how to pick wide receivers. And, you know, there's a void there because Antonio Brown left. So we should target Deontay Johnson, you know, late second, early third of our rookie drafts. You know, wh- where do you balance that? And I know you're very selective, if at all, when you draft um, day two wide receivers. I, I know last year, Traycon Smith was one of your guys that you liked. And I think partially you liked him because of his situation. So where do you balance that? Where does the, where does the narrative start to, you know, you buy into the narrative a little bit when they go to places that are like good situations versus the talent? Is it just somebody that you know, I like this guy going in. He was, he was talented. You know, he was on my list and he went to a great situation. So even though he's a day two wide receiver, I'm in. Or, or how do you make that decision? Uh, yeah, I think for me, it's a lot about the player, right? So if I like, right, so the I'll give you a great example. James Washington last year. I love James Washington. I thought he was one of the, you know, I, I do, you know, I'm the dynasty analytics guy, but I also I watch a lot of tape. And I, from every perspective, I love James Washington. And he was one of the, the, elite metric prospects that fell out into day two and then he goes to a team that drafts receivers really well and he's stuck behind two really good ones but he was a player that I liked a lot especially at the cost you could get him at in the second round of rookie drafts uh so he was a player that I broke in favor of Traquan Smith similar type of scenario not as good as James Washington but he was cheaper I really liked his profile and he went to a place where I think that they, they Sean Payton knows what he's doing on offense. Uh, Those types of scenarios are, I will, I will embrace them. If Sean Payton does it, I I will largely follow suit. Right. I love Latavius Murray, for example, this year, because, Hey, I like Latavius Murray as a player. He goes to a Sean Payton offense. That's really, I mean, that they, just churn out running back production. Um, I'm interested in that. I I think this, the cases in which I'm actually willing to, to embrace the, the offense or when people say, Oh, look, they traded up for a player. We did some research on that and that it really doesn't matter. Uh, It it really doesn't change, change players all that much, uh, especially at receiver. What Um, what about when they trade up for a player and they bang their fist on the table when they're doing it? Yeah. Joe Williams. Right. I did. I think Kyle Shanahan was on the table, like was like jumping up and down, like he was in Cameron indoor stadium um, for Joe Williams last (laughs) couple years ago. And then turned out a certain way. But yeah, I I mean, I, I, so yes, the, the Steelers are good at receivers, but they also had a certain type at receiver, which is they drafted really good metric guys. And we know that, you know, really good metric guys are significantly more likely to hit than not good metric guys. And Deontay Johnson, not a good metric guy. So, you know, I, I, I get the narrative. Oh, Hey, look, he, you know, the last time they took a receiver from this conference, it was Antonio Brown. And now they trade the pick and they take a guy and it's, it's Antonio Brown's replacement. 
I, I get all that, but I, I don't really, yeah, I, I don't have any uh, Deontay Johnson and I don't really expect to get it. So to, to chime in here about the Steelers drafting class. So I put together this spreadsheet and I shared it with, with you, Trey and Ryan. And now, so I quickly looking back from the year 2007 to the year 2019, all wide receivers drafted by the Steelers. Uh, there, there's 14 in total. So there's not, there isn't a huge sample size here from what they've done, but, uh, uh, so I was curious, like, what's their actual hit rate? So quickly, uh, they, had, they had a guy named Dallas Baker, Lima Swede, then went Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown, Manuel Sanders. Just, just money three picks in a row. Then Tony Clemens in 2012, uh, they took him in the seventh round, so who really cares? Uh, then Justin Brown took Marcus Wheaton in the third round uh, of 2013 as well. Martavis Bryant in the fourth in 2014. Who's like, he, he is a hit overall but it's, it's hard to say you know they obviously scouted the talent and everything like that then sammy coates demarcus ayers uh juju smith suits your james washington deontay johnson so if you just say let's they hit on five of those uh, they have a 35.7 percent hit rate on overall wide receivers drafted regardless of round uh, and i think with deontay johnson that's a pretty nice risk to take in like the third round of a rookie draft yeah, I have, I don't have that broken down into into the uh, specific draft range, but like you look, um, I mean that that does beat the market. But is is that is part of that Roethlisberger, right? Part of that I think is is definitely Roethlisberger. Oh yeah, um, and Roethlisberger is not getting younger. And so I mean, here's the thing: I I look at Deontay, I look at him as a receiver, and I he's to me, he's not one of the top two receivers on that team. He's just not. And so, I mean, James Washington's a guy, right? If we're embracing the Pittsburgh offense, we should really be embracing James Washington to me. Um, and I think he's going, you know, comically undervalued. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I was just looking at this ADP data that I've got in front of me. And um, so Juju Smith-Schuster going into his uh, rookie season, was at 85 and ADP. Um, and then obviously the following May, May of 2018, he had jumped up to 27. And then, uh, the, the, you know, of course, now he's at number nine in, in startup ADP. What I think is very interesting is that James Washington, this offseason, is going in as uh, at 89 and ADP, just four spots behind where Juju was. And I think he's a guy that we could see make a clear, because like you said, Jordan, I, I think he's a very, very talented guy and tons of opportunity there in, in Pittsburgh. I think Juju's the, the de facto one there, without a doubt. Um, I, I do think Dante Moncrief is probably probably being a little bit underrated, but I think that, the, that James Washington has an incredible opportunity. And at that cost, you know, just barely in the top 100 uh, ADP, I think that the opportunity that, I mean, that, that leap, I mean, you get a guy around 85 and ADP or, or essentially right there in trade value, and he's an early third rounder the following year and a late first rounder two years later. I mean, that is, that's a game changer. So James Washington is a guy that we probably should be targeting in dynasty leagues right now just because of the immense upside that he's got to, to play there next to, next to Juju and, and, and with Ben Roethlisberger and that pass-happy offense. 
Yeah, I, I, so Rotovis has the the data from MFL, and I just I just grabbed. There's looks like they have uh, sample size of seven drafts that have happened since like since the NFL draft. So it's it's small, and I just picked start one. So, um, but he's going between Debo Samuel and Anthony Miller, right? He's going just ahead of Robbie Anderson. Paris Campbell's in that range. Uh, you know, he's going behind Alshon Jeffrey, Sterling Shepard, Christian Kirk. He's going behind Hakeem Butler. Like, I mean, if we want to talk about a guy in that range that could really blow up, again, I'm not a huge fan of taking a ton of wide receivers that can blow up, but he seems like the clear-cut guy that could rise, that could produce a top 24 season in that offense and and have a big time difference and he's in with a guy a bunch of guys that i just don't think can so he's a clear value to me at that range another narrative we keep hearing about and this kind of ties a lot of things we've talked about tonight it is darius geis in washington that you know we've heard about his rehab it's not going as well as we as we had hoped he's not as far along they they re-signed ap they drafted love and it looks like early in the fourth round so i don't know if darius geis if his maybe Trey has that in front of him. I don't know that his ADP has taken that big of a hit. Maybe lately it has, but he's kind of, you know, maintained his value to a certain extent. And maybe that's starting to, to slide down a little bit. So what do you, what do you think about Darius Geist, Jordan? What about that narrative that, okay, they, they, the Washington Redskins, they re-signed AP and they, they drafted Bryce Love. So they've, they've got to have some concerns about Darius Geist and, you know, his, his future may not be bright in the NFL. Yeah. I, I, so he was a player that I, I liked last year and I had him, you know, I had him and Chubb basically in a tier and rookie dress last year. And I am super skeptical right now. He fell pretty far in the draft. I think that, that there's something there in terms of that because he didn't, it didn't warn it from a tape or a number side, right? He, he should have been a lot higher of a pick than he was in the late, the, later part of the second round and he you know, all those teams passed so to me instantly that that speaks to me that something's there um and whether that's injury or off field whatever uh something was there and he has this injury and between him and alex smith they both had infections and i don't know what's going on if it's just bad luck or what happened but um that that's scary uh and now what do they do, right? They, they bring back Adrian Peterson and they draft Bryce Love. And so, I, right, teams can lie to us and, and say all these things and, you know, double talk on players all the time. But money talks and the draft talks, right? Those two things are the things that, that when, you know, that's when we know who's telling the truth. And they draft Bryce Love. And Bryce Love was another guy who we weren't necessarily sure what was going to happen because we didn't, weren't sure what the medicals were. I thought he was going to be a day three pick. I said before the draft, if he's a fourth rounder, we can feel good about the medicals. If he's a seventh rounder, like Rodney Anderson ends up being a late, late day three guy, you know, same, type of, same type of player, same type of scenario. Um, you know, those two range of outcomes speak a lot to what's going on with the player love goes at the top end of that. I feel pretty good about the, about the medicals based on that. And, you know, they've, they've basically shored up a, a position that if Geis was healthy and, and the, 
ready and everything was fine, they wouldn't be addressing that way. And this isn't a team that that's just taking luxury picks. They have a lot of other needs and they've, you know, addressed it in multiple ways this off season. That's it's skeptical to me. I just got out of my last guy share uh, earlier this week, actually. And, um, you know, I upgraded the Chubb and, um, there's a couple other pieces involved, but I said, let me get to something that's a little bit safer because it, it's a, that's a scenario where there's a, a narrative developing that I am partially to blame for probably. Yeah. He, Ryan, just to speak to your <clears throat> suspicion, he, in May of 2018, you know, uh, of course, after the NFL draft, he, he was 31st overall in ADP single quarterback in May of this year. Currently, he is 36th. So he, he's moved down five spots, which I feel Not like much, is though. Pretty, wow. pretty negligible. Not you know? much. But, it, but if you consider for me, the, the, the thing about Darius Geis right now is that there's just a lot of risk. And so, you know, if I'm going to take a if I'm going to take a running back in the top, you know, three rounds of a startup, or if I'm going to be trading for someone and paying that kind of um, value, I want really high upside and, and I want to try to minimize my risk. You know, a guy, you guys know this, a guy I really like, you know, in that range is carry on Johnson, you know, where all the signs are pointing up, you know, that they brought in CJ Anderson, but you know, he's a guy that, you know, draft capital. I mean, he was drafted in the early second round and, looked really good when he was on the field last year. They brought in an offensive coordinator that is, has, is known to want to run the ball. They draft TJ Hawkinson, which I think as, as much as an offensive weapon is going to be able to really contribute as a blocking tight end as well. And, and so I just, I think that for me, and, and I think carry on Johnson is going um, 29th right now in ADP. Um, so, you know, he's, you know, maybe six, seven spots ahead of, um, Darius guys, but I just feel like guys there, there's just a little bit too much of a concern right now for me to spend that kind of capital or, or trade, um, trade capital um, to acquire him. I looked at the running back position, I guess, before the NFL draft and I, I sort of broke it down into tiers and, and guys and Michelle seemed to me to be pretty safe in terms of like, you know, they were in there with the Fournette, carry on Johnson. I had both of those guys ahead of them, but David Johnson to some degree, Cal, uh, Delvin Cook, right? They're going in a similar range of ADP within a couple rounds of each other. And I, I sort of generally thought of them as a group. Michelle and Geis have fallen off the back of that, right? So I think there's there would be a tear break for me after Fournette. And I, I think the 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 it's whether it's the AP and the Bryce Love the combination of both of those guys and the the bad things we're hearing about guys uh, it has definitely caused him to fall off a tier for me and um you know like you said I'm skeptical early on in a startup draft at running back and it's got to be something I feel really good about and Geis is just not something I feel really good about right now so the the guys that I'll take up that high are there's only there's only a few of them that I would break. I would go running back over receiver four, and uh, Geis certainly is not in that is not in that camp right now. I think he's a it's a if you want to minimize your risk early in a startup draft, which is something that I I highly recommend. You know, 
get, get out of that type of risk scenario in the late third, early fourth round. Well, just that we, we, we talked about guys for a little while and it's one of the things that I was looking at too is contracts and how players are signed. I think Adrian Peterson is, I think you decide more of just a safety fallback plan. So I do think it, it spreads a little bit of risk on guys, but it does provide a buying opportunity, maybe, it, but potentially not in startup drafts. When you're talking to your rookie drafts and people are looking to move up and to grab your picks, to me, guys is a target. Uh, looking, at, looking at Bryce Love, so he went in the 102nd or 112th overall pick uh, in, in this year's draft. And, you know, they, they didn't have, you know, a ton overall, but they kind of saw some things. And then later on, they grabbed some offensive linemen. Uh, they also aren't – it's just interesting. Their last fourth-round uh, running back pick was Samaje Piran. So it's hard to tell what they're looking and trying to exactly value with, with what they're taking. And I see him more of a, as a Chris Thompson replacement than what they want with Darius guys. So if, if he takes over what Adrian Peterson did last year and then uh, Bryce Love moves into the Chris Thompson role, uh, I think that is, it could potentially be another spin on what they're seeing as a vision. But again, that's, it's, it's, it's a narrative street opinion. And in the third or fourth round, even fifth round of startup drafts, uh, Darius Geis is one of those guys where I agree, Jordan, the, the risk is not, you're not, you're not winning on those kind of picks. Yeah. You got to be super skeptical at that point. And I mean, uh, it's funny cause Josh Jacobs is going almost two full rounds behind Geis. Well, a round and a half behind Geis in terms of ADP. And it's like, I'd rather take Jacobs. Like I really would. And uh, that doesn't even seem like a, it doesn't even seem like a debate to me at this point. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's how I feel about guys. It's I'm super skeptical. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's wise. The other thing is, you know, is that Washington offense going to be able to produce, you know, um, even if he, cause, cause I do think that Adrian Peterson is going to continue to get some usage. And, and I think Chris Thompson certainly will continue to have a role in the passing game. So, I think it's going to be really tough, even if he does come back from the injury. It's going to be interesting. That he's he's certainly a curious case, uh, and I think twelve months from now, you know, we'll look back and and have a lot of answers um, potentially for Darius guys. Um, one other narrative that I wanted to kind of talk about is kind of the overvaluing of situation. Um, I do think that situation, you know, j- j- having just mentioned you know, the, the offensive situation there in Washington and, and how much do we really trust the running back? I, I think that it's certainly worth uh, monitoring. But I think in this day and age of the NFL and, you know, marquee players getting traded like we've not really seen, you know, pr- previous, you know, prior than the last couple of years. I mean, you look back, a guy like Juju, you know, I talked about his ADP earlier, you know, he's going 85th. And then after really a, a quite historic rookie season, his, his startup ADP was only 27 last offseason, right? He was going at the beginning of the third round. And, and why was that? Well, because he's behind Antonio Brown. And, and, you know, was there a possibility that Antonio Brown was going to be out of Pittsburgh? No, right? No, nobody would have ever predicted. Everybody thought. So, so Juju's value was, was kind of being held down by the fact that um, Antonio Brown was in town. And, and Juju was always going to be the two. Um, and yet here we are 12 months later. Antonio Brown's gone, and, and Juju's now moved up 18 spots. That doesn't sound like a lot, but a guy that you got at the beginning of the third round last year now is being taken in the first round. I, I mean, that's immense value. 
the same thing with Odell Beckham, right? There, there's no great example of someone behind him in New York that really benefited, although I do think Evan Ingram will eventually benefit there. there there's no example of, of someone that's benefited from that, but it's just another example of you, you would have never predicted that, that OBJ was going to change teams. So, you know, I think this this goes to the, the, the point that, you know, you've mentioned before, Jordan, and, and I think, you know, discussed even on our podcast, like we are so convinced that we know things that we really don't know. Um, another example is, you know, Nick Chubb last year, right? Nick Chubb, incredibly talented coming out of college, taken at the very beginning of the second round. But, but what was the knock against him? Well, it's the Browns, right? Browns are going to Brown, you know, their offense is, they're a disaster of an organization. Nobody wants to own any Browns. So, so Nick Chubb, and, and then on top of that, they had Carlos Hyde there, they had Duke Johnson. What kind of opportunities are you going to get? So Nick Chubb's ADP last May was 37th. Well, now a year later, he's jumped up to 15. Because, and, and if you look, he didn't even have that monstrous of a season. He had a couple big games, but it's just now clear that the, the cream rise to the top. And again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but again, it's just an illustration of how we kind of just ignored the fact that they spend pretty solid draft capital on him. We, we continue to, some of us, buy into the narrative that Cleveland's not a good organization. It's not a good offense. Now it's looking like one of the most exciting offenses potentially in the NFL moving forward. Um, and then the last example, you know, last offseason, and we talked about this on our pod, um, you know, everybody was kind of dogging the Seahawks last year. Their offensive line was, was atrocious. Nobody was really paying attention to the moves they were made. I remember specifically hearing on several podcasts last year about how bad the Seahawks offensive line was, and nobody wanted any part of their running game in Seattle. Now, fast forward to this offseason, this month, they have two running backs being taken in the top seven rounds of startup ADP. Chris Carson's going at pick 71 and Rashad Penny's going at pick 80. Um, and, and we can talk there about how kind of insane that is given the draft capital between those two guys. Uh, but, you know, I, I just last off season, nobody wanted any part of that um, Seahawks rushing offense because their offensive line was so, um, so rough shot and, and but they made some moves and so situations change and I just think while we need to take it in consideration things change more quickly than I think we sometimes um are willing to admit yeah totally. and, and absolutely the the one part that I would refute is that Chubb didn't have a great end of the season last year I mean he really sparked when he got that full-time role so his ADP I think isn't isn't overly surprising he he was basically a monster yeah and and one thing you'll notice about this year might not be a great example of it because of the lack of the top of the class but one thing you'll notice is if you get day two running backs who are pretty good running backs in rookie drafts and they look blocked right so maybe miles sanders is that case this year uh they they perform I think better than people expect and what I what I mean by that is one of the metrics that I looked at I looked at two different metrics in in my book and in my research warp which is wins over replacement player and it's basically how much value actually add over what the replacement player would be in any given week Um, and I measure that over a 13 game regular season um, so that's warp. And then a warp basically or adjusted warp incorporates the player starter rate 
into that, right? How often they're actually in lineups, because that tells you, that gives you a lot more information about how they're being, how they're being used. And it gives you a lot of information that you can't necessarily just look at the, the final seasonal standings on a player and, and see where they came out. The A-Warp will really draw out the value of, of a, how a player actually helped in, in season. And what you'll notice in, in that range, right? So guys like last year, Nick Chubb and Carrion Johnson, who looked, quote, blocked when they were drafted, they they really turn out better than they end up falling in drafts and then actually perform historically almost as good as the guys that go at the top of the draft. And you're getting a discount on, on good players because they're blocked early on. And that was a that was the clear case with Chubb. And as it's funny because the early rookie drafts, Chubb was going, you know, 102, 103, and then he was falling, right? As drafts went along, he was falling and it, it was a classic case of, oh, people baked in the immediate situation. And we play Dynasty. And it's, it's hilarious to me that we play, you know, we play Dynasty and people are like, oh, we're going to play long term. And then they make the most short-sighted decisions. They're like, well, he's not going to start week one. <clears throat> and do we really – should we be drafting rookies to start week one? Right? I, I, that shouldn't be how you, you should be making your decisions. You should be trying to make them to some degree with a long-term – you know, with a long-term aim in mind because you're playing dynasty, but people will make decisions based on what's going to happen week one. And, and then when, when it really matters in week 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, right. The, the situations change massively and we don't, we don't have a good grip on that. And, and when you make, so when you make decisions based on what's going to happen at the beginning of the season, I think you're really missing out on, on the long-term aspects of players. And really, and I'm, when I'm, when I say long-term, that doesn't even mean five years down the line, that means you know, six months from now, right? What, what that, what the opportunities and that all entails. And so, yeah, you look at guys like Chubb and Carrion Johnson and to some degree, Miles Sanders this year, I think people see them as blocked and they fall a little bit in value and that, that just creates a, a, a better buying opportunity. Yeah. I, I actually love Carrion Johnson. And I think that <clears throat> I anticipate brother. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people just are so, I remember watching him and, and I actually not, not to, not to try to, you know, um, pat myself on the back because I think Geis's limitation um, so far has been injury related. But last offseason, I said uh, very early on in, in rookie draft season that I felt like Karrion Johnson was going to be the best SEC West running back last year, you know, essentially saying I, I took and I and I, I feel like that anybody that watched him and I think because I was a big fan of his, I watched him so closely. I mean, he looked electric last year in in a in an absolutely debacle of an offense in Detroit. When he touched the ball, it looked he looked incredible. He they involved him in the passing game, and the the only bright spot for me in the, in his injury and and the fact that his season got cut short last year is that it's it's opened up an immense buying window this off season. And I've traded for him. I've taken him in in a couple startups. Um, and I think that he's a guy that this time next year is going to be right where Joe Mixon's sitting now, you know, at the end of the first, beginning of the second round. I mean, he, he's a, and I know you, that you guys have talked about this on Under the Helmet, you know, a, tw a 21 year old running back as a rookie, you know, historically is a really good bet. 
And, and not only that, but on Johnson had the draft capital. And I know that you said it didn't matter, but, you know, the Lions did give up additional draft capital to move up to take him. He, they selected him when, when Darius Geis was still on the board. And, and not only that, but now they've brought in uh, an offensive coordinator that has come out and said, we want to run the football. Um, so I just think, I think on Johnson can just have a monstrous season this year. And, and I think that his ADP, I mean, right now he's at 29. And I think that just like last year when, when Nick Chubb was sitting there in the low to mid thirties, I think, you know, hindsight is that that was a screaming value. And I think that's where on sits right now. If you, if you look at the running backs, like let's say outside the top 10, I think on Johnson's got the best chance of being a top five startup pick this time next year. Like that's like, that's how highly I think of him. And I watched him every, <clears throat> and unfortunately it wasn't that it wasn't enough, but I watched all the lions games last year. Cause I covered them for football guys. And every time he touched the ball, it was like, you were just waiting for what was going to happen. And uh, you know, he's a, he's a metric stud 21 year old running back. And just uh, he, he is a freak down the field and I don't know. And I think it's, I think it's to some degree he's getting beaten down because of playing in Detroit. But I always thought that the, that the trade of Golden Tate actually spoke more about what they wanted to do with carry on Johnson than it did about anything else that they were, that they wanted to get away from that, you know, spread it out offense and, and, and incorporate more of, of those touches into being carry on Johnson. And it, it was for a brief period of time, then he got hurt. But I, I think he's got massive upside and he can do everything. And he's, I mean, that's that you look at running back targets and early in a startup draft and he's in bright lights for me in terms of, you know, being 29, 30 overall. I mean, I've, I've pounded the table pretty hard for him in a couple of drafts this year. And um, I, uh, I think he's got, sky high upside this season and his his last game last season was in november so it's one of the reasons i think for the depressed value is you want to talk about recency bias well it's really easy to read about somebody who wasn't there and trey i think i think you're you're you guys you're, you know you're so right on his upside overall i do think uh the you know him versus darius guys it's a little bit unfair to discount guys because he got hurt and they had complications with the surgery i don't know if that's uh you know, you know, quite big victory lap material quite yet. Uh, but I am on board with, with that guys has immense upside. They're very similar ages too, between him, uh, carry on and guys overall. So, but yeah, uh, he would be, he'd be a buy, but I think everybody's trying to buy carry on Johnson. Have you guys been in the league where people are selling him for cheap? Well, I, I've bought a couple shares of him, um, for like the one Oh three, um, I, there, there was a league that I, and I shared this with you guys and I actually tweeted it out, um, a while back. I, I, I just started up back in January, February, and it was just ridiculous where 2019 picks were falling to. And so I just started collecting them and I, he, that's what, there were two trades I made. Um, I ended up sending the 103 for carry on Johnson straight up. And I ended up sending the 106 and 108 for Stefan Diggs, like maybe two or three weeks before the NFL draft actually happened. And if you go back and look, I mean, I, I moved up a total of like seven rounds in startup picks. Um, essentially, it's like those three picks were, you know, may, I don't remember exactly where they were, you know, maybe like the seventh, ninth, and 11th rounds. 
and I got guys that were taken in like the second and third. So it, it, it was just absurd. So, so that, and then there's another league that I actually gave the 102 for him. Um, and it's a um, single quarterback league. And so I essentially, even, even honestly, worst case scenario, if, if I expect Josh Jacobs to go one-on-one in that league, if Nikhil Harry goes first, I'm fine taking carry on over Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I remember when he got hurt last year because it was the week before he he ended up getting hurt the week before Thanksgiving. And I was super disappointed because I wanted to go to Thanksgiving and like show off this like it was like I wanted to show off like this beautiful like woman that I was dating. <laughs> so I, was like, I wanted to show my family. Like, Her name is Carry On. This. And, uh, <laughs> and then he got hurt. And I was like super disappointed. But um yeah, man, I that I Trey, I remember when you were in that draft, when like rookie picks were falling like clinically, like just clinically insane low. And yeah, yeah, it's and it's funny, right? You you know people rag on the class, and then when they want to draft the rookie, it's like the price goes up, and you know that's just a rinse and repeat type strategy. So so let's go vets. You guys, uh, let's go full PPR, super flex, twelve team league. Um, you have a good team you know, ready to compete. You trading Le'Veon Bell for Karrion Johnson? I think I would. I, I think I would. I think I'd be comfortable getting out. I, I would try to get something on top. Um, but I think that the possibility th- – this year I don't think that their production is going to be off. If it is off, if, if Le'Veon pr- outproduces Carrion, I feel like it's going to be minimal. I, I think that – I mean, that Jets team uh, – looks like it could be bad and I do think that they're going to feature Le'Veon but I think I would rather have carry on I think I could probably exploit some value there though yeah I think that's a great I think I think you could definitely get something on top of carry on Johnson for Le'Veon Bell and I would do that okay next would be Melvin Gordon if we're keeping same position (laughs) so hey this person has maybe a couple agent receivers and they have carry on Johnson you have Melvin Gordon but you, you know, again, you, I, I feel like in general, you had Melvin Gordon last year, probably competing, but, uh, so now you're like, okay, I want to send you Melvin Gordon. I'm asking for carry on or carry on plus what? I think you can get significantly more, um, than carry on for, you know, carry on. I think you can get more on top of carry on for Melvin Gordon than you could for Lady on Bell. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just, just a different example. Yeah. I would hope that you have Corey Davis actually, yeah. and I would try and get I would try and get like Carry on Johnson and Corey Davis for Melvin Gordon. That's exactly. And the, if, that's the player that came to my mind. Yeah, and the moment that the moment it was accepted, I would just like jump for joy because I feel like that's a, a trade where both teams probably feel like they really win because because I think Melvin Gordon's a guy that has been really challenging for me this off season as I've gone through startups because I've seen him fall a couple times into like the mid second. And I feel like he's a value there, but I also feel like 12 months from now, I'm going to hate myself for taking Melvin Gordon in the second round. So I, I've passed, but you know, it's just, he, I mean, he is an absolutely elite producer. I mean, what do you, I think he, he was second or third on the team in targets last year. I mean, they used him last year in such a crazy way in the passing game. And, and so I, I think that he, I mean, it would not shock me one iota if Melvin Gordon was the running back one this year in PPR. I mean, if he, if he, you know, the touchdowns break, right. I'm not predicting that. I, I, I but I think he's top five barring injury. Yeah. I think um, but, he just has to survive the season. Yeah. Dynasty. He just, he's a guy that I'd be getting out on 
while his value's still still up there. And uh, to, to pivot a little bit, the one narrative I wanted to discuss tonight and what, what I looked up, let's say like quite a bit or at least a little bit, was the when we talk about teams can't lie in free agency with what they want to do. And it's, it's something that's been pumped out, I feel like, quite a bit on a lot of different podcasts. And I agree, team, teams can't lie with where they spend their money. Uh, but there are examples, and I think some really good ones, of teams lying heavily about where they're spending their money. And I'm going to stick with running backs at the very beginning. And it's not a super deep dive, but as I was looking at contracts, I think we look back to, like, 2016 when the Lions signed Theoretic to an $11.5 million three-year deal. So right after that, uh, or right before that, Theoretic in 2016 was a 16.2 PPR per points game running back. He only played 10 games. Then after that, he dropped down to 9.6 and 8.3 in the years subsequent. So he took a massive drop-off after he signed this bigger contract. Uh, another one would be Giovanni Bernard, the same year, signed a $15.5 million deal. And everyone's like, okay, they signed Gio. You know, we're good to go. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's worth this. At least have a spot there. Uh, and then, you know, then they signed Joe Mixon, and Gio's kind of out the back door after the whole Jeremy Hill experiment. But they did pay him. They paid him good money. In 2017, an example of this is Duke Johnson. Again, with Cleveland, I remember when Duke Johnson signed that deal, and I was very excited because Duke Johnson has, has the metrics. He had the college, like, workload production. You know, he's, he's – somebody that checks a lot of boxes that you want to see and you're like, okay, he's finally going to get his shot. And all they did was depress his value after that. Uh, Duke Johnson really w wasn't super valuable in, in 2018 at all <laughs> in that depth chart. And that also goes to Carlos Hyde being signed there and then traded Carlos Hyde signed for a good bit of money. I mean, it was all guaranteed up front, but that was a nice contract and they drafted somebody else. And also going into 2018, Dion Lewis is, is someone that I thought was very curious so where you, where you can't lie with where you're spending the money, the Titans lied heavily when they spent on Deion, Deion Lewis. I mean, that offense was poor overall when it comes to touchdown, uh, touchdowns, but they really transitioned at the end of the season to Derrick Henry. And that's one thing that concerns me about the Titans overall and Derrick Henry's uh, price right now and overall, overall dynasty rank. But anyway, one of the big things that was depressing him last year was that big signing of Deion Lewis. And there, there's, I have a few more examples. There's like Rex Burkhead. There's so many in there. The average salary for these running backs, what people are paying, is pretty inflated uh, overall. So when somebody gets a, a big signing, looking at the situation a little bit more, looking at that player, don't just go on dollar value. It would be my narrative is saying this isn't always true, and this is something we follow and make trades for and try to, try to grab value from heavily. And it may be an opportunity to sell somebody when they do sign a big contract like that. The person who sold Deion Lewis – is, is very, very excited that they sold. And the person that sold Carlos Hyde when he signed that contract with the Browns is very, very excited. Even Giovanni Bernard, even though they got a few weeks in when, when Mixon was hurt, but uh, th those types of things. So coming into 2019, examples are Latavius Murray signed a big deal. Mark Ingram signed a big deal. I know there's not a lot behind him at all, but uh, even Damian Williams is being referenced as they signed him, but it's only for $5 million, which is, it's not like it's huge. And the last point uh, would be, I'm pretty sure the Niners might have one of the most expensive backfields in the NFL because uh, even Raheem Mostart signed for $8 million over three years along with Jarek McKinnon and Tevin Coleman. I feel, I feel like there's some interesting money plays going on at the Niners. So what are you guys' thoughts about when we try to follow the money and it being wrong and we're not – I don't feel like the dynasty community is taking note of this. Well, I feel like sometimes when you're looking at the money that, that teams get, are, are paying – players i think you have to consider too their cap situation 
And I just heard someone talking about this on another podcast where, you know, I, there's this suspicion now that Adam Gaze, you know, chased the GM of the Jets out of town because the GM spent so much money on Le'Veon Bell. Um, <laughs> but you, you have to consider the fact that, you know, you look at how much money the Jets had to spend and, and the ability that, you know, Le'Veon gives you as a running back to also be a pass catcher. It's the same thing with Jarvis Landry, right? When Jarvis Landry signed with the Browns, I mean, you know, the, the same podcast mentioned that. I mean, they, they paid him. I don't even remember how much money that they, they ended up getting is in the mid-teens of the millions. But I think the Browns had like almost $100 million in cap space. Um, so I, I think sometimes, you know, you, you can look at the, uh, you know, like Sammy Watkins is another example when the Chiefs signed him to, you know, this, you know, I think $16 million a year deal. Well, they had Patrick Mahomes, Kareem Hunt, and Tyree Kill all on rookie deals, right? So they basically knew they had two or three years. They could pay Sammy Watkins $16 million a year, and they'd be fine because they had these other guys. So I, I think it's sometimes about the money, but, but I think also you have to take into consideration the team's caps situation um, when you're looking at that as well. Yeah, and I, I think the money is – it's not a – a perfect barometer because these guys on rookie deals are not getting paid free agency type money. Right. So teams are getting a discount. So you see, you know, Duke Johnson and Gio Bernard have, you know, have salary numbers in the range of the top 12, but you're just not, you know, McCaffrey's making less than the him, you know, and, and you're getting guys beneath him, you know, beneath these guys that, just aren't getting paid because they're on rookie deals. So, I mean, a lot of the guys that you named are subsized running backs and, you know, the average running, the average top 24 running back is 215 pounds. And so when you're taking outliers, even when they're high paid outliers, they're, you don't, that's a, that's a dangerous bet to make. And, you know, people were, you know, McKinnon's not a great example of this because he got hurt, but, you know, look what they did and situations fluid. I mean, last year, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr. And Tyreek Hill, three top 10 dynasty wide receivers. Antonio Brown traded, Odell Beckham traded, Tyreek Hill. uh, We don't necessarily know what's going on with them right? Situations change massively year over year and taking, you know, investing in making big bets on, on situation remaining the same is, is always a danger. So yeah, with guys like this, I mean, I, I, money is, it's spent and I think it's one indicator, but I look towards the whole profile of the player more. And I think the other things speak a lot to how you should value the player. Yeah, and, and I agree. And the, the narrative, I guess, and this is kind of one of my habits, is I'll go through the whole section and, and ramble, ramble through it, but is fo- following the money is an okay place to go, but it's not the narrative that you want overall. If I had a, if you, you know, if you had a dollar every time Jarek McKinnon's contract and what he signed in San Francisco last year for his long-term dynasty value and where he was going in startups, you'd be a very wealthy person after listening to all the podcasts from last season. If that wasn't referenced every any time somebody talked about Jerry McKinnon is that hey they're putting their money where their mouth is they believe in this guy that's a that, you know that's a huge part about his value and what he's doing so 
I happen to be with you on Jarek McKinnon, but if he hadn't got hurt, we don't know what he would have done in the, in the defense of people that love Jarek McKinnon last year. So I just want to throw that out there, but, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't, uh, I think the hype was just overblown on, on that situation with, with show me the money. Trey, what do you got on your screen? You're showing us something. Yeah. He just, he just mentioned, you guys know this. We talked about it last week. Um, you know, it's funny cause you, you, you mentioned the, the Dion Lewis signing, right? And that was one of the things last off season, and 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 it ended up kind of being somewhat true. And and that you know there were people that were questioning Derrick Henry's upside last year with with the Titans bringing in um, Dion Lewis and and paying him that money. Ryan um, Will was just talking about the you know following the money and, and talking about the the amount of money that um, teams pay players and, and what that can mean for their production. And, you know, he went through the salaries of some signings. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it's certainly not something I tend to follow as a dynasty owner. I, I, you know, pay attention to it as a football fan, but I don't tend to make many of my dynasty decisions based on, based on um, how much teams are paying certain players. Um, you know, there, there's, there's so many other factors that I, take it to, to consideration. And I think this also, so I was also looking at a lot of wide receivers coming in this next season, if you're trying to follow the money and maybe this is died down a little bit more than what my expectation was, but uh, wide receivers are going to be paid pretty highly overall on average. Sterling Shepard is going to be the 20, he currently has the 21st uh, highest wide receiver contract. If you do it average per year, Tyra Williams is 17th. Adam Humphreys is 27th. Quincy Nunez, 25th. And one guy that I fell into this trap with, and it was actually going into last year. I know he got hurt. And maybe it's a player to revisit, like, coming into the future. But Paul Richardson was a pretty highly paid wide receiver going into the season in 2018. And this uh, – and I guess, like, the, the, the overall driving point home is when somebody makes a – not when somebody – when you're looking at a player's value, when a team can't lie in free agency, you need to look at the whole scope of it because – just because they paid somebody highly, they still could be very heavily lying in free agency. And that's a very common narrative that's discussed during rookie season when people can't lie with their draft picks. Um, they also, like, it's off. I've heard it so many times, like, they also can't lie in free agency. Well, they can kind of lie in free agency. And look at that situation. That's a good example of last year that Paul Richardson signing, because he, he was signed after Allen Robinson got the big money in Chicago and then Sammy Watkins got the big deal in Kansas City. So, Washington needed a wide receiver and they looked at the market, what was out there. They probably had to pay Paul Richardson that kind of money to get him, <laughs> you know? So it's not, it's not quite the simple. I fell into that trap too. Well, I, I, not that I went crazy after Paul Richardson, but I thought, Oh, he's kind of interesting, intriguing player because they paid him. And, you know, um, I think he was second round uh, draft pedigree. I could be wrong on that. So. Taiwan Jones makes more money than Alvin Kamara. <laughs> Who doesn't make more money now? Than <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's really crazy. But, uh, can, I, can I go to my conspiracy theory? That, that I've been kind of really not excited, but Jordan, I'd also love to get your opinion on this. All right. It's also a pretty fun narrative to go down. Uh, the, I, this narrative I've been looking at, it's the whole San Francisco roster. So, they front-loaded Jarek McKinnon's contract. They, they front-loaded Mostert's. Uh, Tevin Coleman does, doesn't have that much guaranteed money. They're starting to draft kind of this. This draft was a little bit weird 
for this uh, conspiracy theory. But this is the, the Jimmy G conspiracy theory. So he signs a massive quarterback contract. And his first season, you know, he, he goes out and he, you know, he tears his ACL and the, the Niners are horrible. And so when we go into this year, he, he's locked in for 2019. His dead cap hit is so high. So going into 2020, though, let's say, uh, let's say Jimmy G struggles through the first, like, four or five games of this NFL season, and the Rams look like they're contenders, the Seahawks look like they're contenders, and Arizona's, like, just annoying to deal with for, for the Niners. And they're like, okay, this is going super – this is going really, really poorly. So Jimmy G's dead cap hit for 2020 is only $4.2 million. So my conspiracy here is – they're kind of in this, this see what we have overall with him. And if he struggles early or has some sort of injury, is that I, I'm guessing they're done with Jimmy Garoppolo moving into 2021 or beyond because his guaranteed money is so heavily paid up front. In 2021, he's only, he would be a cut at $2.8 million dead cap. In 2022, which would be the last year of his deal, uh, he has a $27 million cap hit, but only $1.4 million dead uh, cap money. The Jimmy G experiment, if it fails, uh, they could be looking for a new option sooner than what we think. And that's kind of my whole Niners conspiracy is that they front load all these contracts to fill out their cap room. And it's, it's kind of like low risk, high reward here because Jimmy G is on, on the books for 2020. He'll be 26.6 mil, 2021, just under 27. And then 2022, 27, it gets very expensive very quickly, but their cut for him is so low, even if he succeeds. They'll just restructure or he'll, uh, you know, if, if he fails, he'll be gone. So my, uh, this is like crystal ball kind of fun prediction is if things break slightly better that the Niners will have a new quarterback. Let's go 2020. Yeah, like, his Nick, name's Nick, Nick Mullins. <laughs> yeah, I would love it. But I'm, all I want to say is like Jimmy G, <laughs> for the, the dynasty value of Jimmy Garoppolo should be taken into context with his contract and what it is. He's not actually signed that long-term for dead money. You know what's crazy is Jimmy Garoppolo is making almost $60 million between last year and this year. We're talking about a guy who's attempted 361 passes in his NFL career. I mean, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, a decent, like, 10-game stretch for, you know, Drew Brees. And that's what the guy's attempted in his five-year NFL career, he's attempted 361 passes, and he just got paid $60 million last year and this year. I mean, that uh, unbelievable, man. And th- this is a great example of Bill Belichick playing chess and everyone else in the league playing checkers, right? He did it with Matt Schaub. He did it with Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo goes undefeated as the Patriots starting quarterback. I, I-, I mean, I-, I am – it would – I would be amazed to see the level of quarterback that could have a winning record starting for the New England Patriots. Um, and, and then what other teams would pay them. It's, it's just amazing to me. Not bad for an Eastern Illinois product, right? Well, this is Bill Belichick playing chess. And then I feel like the Niners playing chess back. Let's front load it and then have an out right away. What other quarterback has a $27 million contract and a, and a less than $5 million buyout? And I haven't looked at Derek Carr's because I know, I know he's scheduled to make a good bit of money. But they were like, okay, we'll, we'll gamble on this a little bit and we'll give you a second-round pick. But they're, they're out with him. It's super cheap for what they, what they signed him up front for. 
This is really intriguing, Will, because I hadn't realized this about Jimmy G, and you're totally right. I mean, 2020, they could totally be out. Um, it, it sounds like, uh, um, you know, Bosa, their uh, what the, their second overall is already having some like you know kind of some injuries early on, so that'll be interesting to see what happens. So, Jordan, what do you what do you make of this? What do you make of this situation with Jimmy G in San Francisco and the fact that the Niners could get out in 2020? Um, I mean, he, he's got to get some time to, right? He got hurt. And so he had a really good end of the season. What was it? It would have been the end of 2017 season. He gets hurt early on in 2018. I mean, I wouldn't get over our skis on the fact that you know his, his career is over, but I think it speaks to, especially in Superflex, you don't want to take a lot of risk at the position. And he was a lot of risk last year because you don't, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I've looked at more and more is the sort of early range career players are, are pretty dangerous in terms of quarterback production. And so what you'll see is like with the, especially on an age curve, right? The guys that are in their mid twenties, that's a, that's a pretty dangerous range of quarterback. And so Garoppolo is, I think, a little bit older than that because he obviously sat behind Brady. But I think that the point remains is, is, is true for him because he's, he, he's in a shorter term of, of what the data we have on him is that there's a lot of risk there. And they, they paid a lot of money not knowing a ton about him. And right, they, they saw good things at the end of that season. And I, I get why they paid him because they had to. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a concerning thing to me. And like, you look at a guy between like him and Dak Prescott, and I would, I would feel a lot more comfortable about Dak Prescott and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, when you watch him play, he thinks he's got Patrick Mahomes' arm and he just doesn't. And that happens a lot. He hasn't seen a back, a back foot, off balance throw that he didn't think he could make uh, in the double coverage. And, you know, I, I am, I was skeptical last year and he got hurt. So, you know, I'm not claiming success, right. We have to give him more time. And that's one thing, right. Recency bias, you know, Oh, it's, it's over because he was hurt. Um, I wouldn't say that, but I have, I am skeptical of him long-term based on you know the short track record of what we have and the what I have seen of him I haven't really I don't love it so you know when and when you're paying that cost in super flex you know you're paying top what top 12 quarterback cost in super flex that's I mean give me Dak Prescott at a discount just saying the, the Niners finances are very interesting to track and yeah they the the Jimmy G thing is their sunk cost is already there they basically have 2019 to deal with it. And after that, he is a cheap cut for a quarterback. Well, I think that was probably pretty intentional knowing that, you know, the, the, the quarterback class in 2020 um, is, is going to be, I think, pretty decent. There's going to be some nice options there at the top. And, and I think that, you know, Jimmy G, even, even if the, and I haven't seen where Vegas has put the over under on the odds, but, but, but playing in that division, um, and, and I don't remit, know exactly what their schedule looks like overall, but I think that the chances that the, the 49ers pick outside of the top seven or eight picks is, is very slim. 
I mean, they, they, I think they're almost certainly locked into a top 10 pick. Um, given the, given the overall, I mean, it's not just the on offense, defense, I mean, all over, they've got needs all over the place. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to put themselves in a position where after 2019, they can either move on from Jimmy G and draft someone in this 2020 class um, or, you know, continue to, you know, give him an opportunity. Cause you know, the, cause I think his overall cap, it's not just his dead cap. I think his overall cap hit, if, if I remember correctly, is uh, pretty reasonable the next few years. It was, you know, it's, super front-loaded. It's massive. It's, it's in the 20 – he's going to be a pretty highly paid quarterback. In, 20, uh, in 2020, he is a $26.6 million cap hit. In 2021, it's 26.9 mil. And in 2022, it's 27. That's where this kind of theory comes from is his cap hit's pretty big. Uh, on, the, on the scale of quarterbacks that will rise to, yeah, it won't be that big. But his dead cap is tiny. 4.2 in 2020 and 2.8 in 2021 and 2022 would be 1.4. So the Niners are building a team that in, in 2020, if they, maybe even 2020 think, things don't work out, they fully tank. And all of a sudden you have Trevor Lawrence wearing Niners uniform, the flow and lots of love, just slanging touchdowns that Jalen Hurd all day on the last year of his rookie contract. <laughs> But that, so, but I do think I do think Jimmy Garoppolo's contract matters for dynasty purposes, purposes, which was the main reason I wanted to bring this up. Is it's fascinating to me the way that they're scheduling their contracts and what they're doing. They are I don't I mean I haven't read Astro Ball, but is this the team playing the, the contract game when they don't feel like they can win these current seasons? They have it. it I don't know. It, it, I haven't done the full analysis on them, but. If Kyle Shanahan doesn't get fired in the next few years and they trust in what they're doing, I think the Niners are going to be right back at it uh, either in 2019 or – sorry, 2020, not this year, uh, 2020 or 2021. I think the thing with the NFL, though, it's an interesting theory, but these teams want to win now. And you you could rebuild relatively quickly in the NFL. We've seen it because you may not have your job. I mean, you can't just, you know, I mean, I guess if you have a really good relationship with an owner and you're they're really confident in you, that, that can happen. But we don't see it too often in the NFL. It seems like teams – just kind of reload. They rebuild quickly because there aren't too many teams that have the, the patience to wait and fan bases don't have the patience to wait for these teams to build a winner. But, and Jordan, with that, we're going to end with Will's interesting conspiracy theory. Do you have any thoughts on that or any final thoughts you want to leave us with? And Jordan, tell us people tell the people, the, the two listeners we have that, that haven't bought our book, your book because everyone else has where they can buy your book and what they can get with it. Yeah. You can get the book at analytics dynasty.com. Uh, and specifically analyticsdynasty.com slash shop. There's two options to buy the book. You can buy the book for 30 bucks. It's uh, it'll come immediately downloadable in a PDF form. Um, once you press, uh, press submit on the payment, it'll come to you in a PDF. So you can start reading immediately, start making some better dynasty decisions. The other thing you can do is you can buy the book and a strategy session with me. We get together, uh, talk team building, talk strategy, go over, you know, draft strategy, team building strategy, the whole, the whole nine. Um, those have been great. Those have been a lot of fun. I actually did one tonight before we started uh, recording this and I uh, was talking to a purchaser and we had a, a really good talk about a couple of his teams and about taking some steps to, you know, double down and uh, make his teams even better next year. So uh, those are a lot of fun. I learned just as much from them. I, I take ideas from them and have put, ideas from 
things I've learned in there into the book. So uh, those have been a lot of fun. So you can get the book and the strategy session for $50. Um, and, you know, I think the book is, it's valuable at any time, right? It's not just a 2019 strategy guide. It's a, it's a dynasty strategy guide. It's talking about making better decisions, making better team building. There's uh, data and there's analysis on, you know, how to make your teams more efficient. And if you're worried about the numbers and you're worried about, you know, getting blown away by, you hear the word analytics and are scared of the numbers, it's not that, right? There's, there's charts and there's numbers and stuff, but there's also a lot of uh, writing stuff that goes along with it. I'm not a, you know, it's, it's not rocket science level math. Don't worry. I couldn't, I couldn't write that if it was, but uh, yeah, analyticsdynasty.com slash shop and, uh, and get it and, and we can talk. Yeah. Link is in the show notes. If you, you want to check it out, you should, it's, it's an easy read. It's a great read. You get it. You won't want to put it down because you'll, you'll be captivated and you'll learn so much to help your dynasty teams. So I mean, Jordan, thanks. thanks for, an, ep- an epilogue about Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Uh, just, uh, like <laughs> All right, Jordan, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Um, we are at FF Joe's on Twitter. We're the Fantasy Joe's. We appreciate you listening. You can also become a Patreon supporter. Go to patreon.com slash fantasy Joe's and check it out. Patreon supporters get a bonus episode twice a month during the off season, so you want to check that out. So on behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. Keep yourself up in quadrioles. This, this, this is where I chime in? <laughs> have you done this before? Have we done, have we done a podcast before, gentlemen? Is this is our first time? I was just trying not to... First, welcome to the show, show number one, Jordan McNamara. <laughs> I thought we did this before.